Are there any comments or questions from the first half that there's a huge confusion that we need to clear up before we move on, or are we ready to move on to the next session? Any question that is burning inside of you that we need to address? Okay, yes. It seems to me that in some ways, uh, I'll be curious to see how we go forward, that Jesus met engagers, fence-sitters, and wanderers, and with the fairly unique exception, I think, of Paul, didn't engage rejectors that much post-resurrection. So in terms of ministry, I almost find he's harder to emulate or model as we face a world that says, no such thing as God, it's only science, we should be a secular society, etc., etc. So, Well, I mean, the one point I would bring up is the rich young ruler. Right? So Jesus saw his heart and let him go away sad. Right? So, you know, I mean, I think one of the principles that's coming out is there is phenomenal ministry that can happen with the ones who are already here. And we need to make sure that we are making sure their faith is vibrant and my own personal faith is vibrant. Um, and then it's, I, I feel it's a, something we have to live with the spirit as to that person that, you know, um, uh, where they are in their journey as to how much energy and time I put towards them. Okay? Well, we then did something called a regression analysis on the survey and started looking clearly at which things impacted attendance, which things didn't impact attendance. And out of it, I gave this to one of my millennial researchers, and she literally prayerfully spent time on this. And she came back and said, I see out of the data four drivers and four barriers of faith. Okay, That's what we're going to look at. At this time. Does anyone remember this picture? What is this picture of? Canaries in the coal mine. Okay. There was methane gas in early coal mines. And canaries were more sensitive than humans... To pick it up. So as long as the canaries were chirping. They were happy. The miner went about his business. As soon as that canary quit chirping. He took it very seriously. If the canary died. He got out of there. Okay. Now this is not a perfect analogy. Because millennials can lie. Okay. Young adults. Youth can lie. They can have something going on in their own heart which is causing them to move away from the church. But here's something that I'm wondering if we need to take seriously. Young adults, particularly those post-high school, may be the canaries in the coal mine of the church. They may be an indicator species highlighting if something is wrong. Okay, let, let, me, let me explain indicator species. I live in the Crow's Nest region, 
um, out in Lethbridge. Uh, and if you go up towards Crow's Nest Pass and you look at those creeks, what will happen with the scientists who study that is they look to see if there are any bull trout. But because they know that the bull trout lay their eggs in the gravel, and if there's been too much silt from, let's say, logging trucks, the first thing that happens is that silt covers the, covers the uh, gravel bed, and they cannot, bull trout cannot, cannot lay their eggs, and as a result, they're the first ones that are no longer in an ecosystem. Okay? It may be that if young adults are not attending a particular local church, unless there are extenuating circumstances such as a rural church where everyone has moved into the city, they may be an indicator species for us as to whether there is vibrancy in that church. Okay? Will grandparents leave the church they have attended and supported for 40, 50 years? Probably not, right? Will families with children uproot those children to go to another church? Probably not. But young adults may be an indicator species, okay? If there are no young adults, I think that's something for a leadership team to take very seriously to prayer in Jesus, to Jesus and say, what, what are you asking of us, okay? Um, and then what I want to do is I want to highlight... Four themes that flowed out of our research. Parents. And the key issue is, are parents engaged in their own faith or disengaged in their own faith? Okay, uh, That's the corporate side of their faith and the private side of their faith. Okay, What about the community? Is it a vibrant community that's going places? found it very interesting when one of the first churches that brought me in was a church in Edmonton and I showed up and the entire foyer was ripped up because they were building. They were redoing their... I thought, you know what? This is a flexible wineskin. There's something really good because in the middle of all the chaos and hard tats, they had me presenting. And I thought, wow, there may be a link between building projects... And whether or not a church is vibrant. Like, are they addressing the needs? Are there needs that have to be met? That we have to change something here because, you know, we got to respond to this new need. Okay? Um, so, vibrant or stagnant? Then, teaching and beliefs. Are the, is the teaching empowering or restrictive? One of the key questions for young adults... Okay, and so I'm, I'm, I'm here turning sociological, not theological. Okay, but I'm, is, does this work? Not, is it true? Okay? Young adults are looking for that particular question. Now, we, I don't want to overplay it because we will always stay true to the Bible. Uh, we cannot, under any circumstance, deviate from that, but at the same time, to get into a millennial mindset, they're asking, does the gospel work? Is it going to help me in my life? Okay, so there's a practical application. 
Okay, there's, it's touching their heart. It's changing their heart. Rather than simply something focused at the head. Um, and then lastly, is God experienced or unexperienced? Uh, can the young adult see the activity of God in their life? Let's look at parents first. When we looked for engaged parents, what jumped out of our interviews was this. An engaged parent was, some who was, was someone who was modeling the faith for the child. Okay? And they had a teaching component. They would, throughout life, make sure that they were instructing their child in how to make and think biblical decisions. In terms of disengaged, for some faith was not modeled, okay? Or it was just for an appearance. And you know, kids have massive BS detectors, okay? So so, um, one person said, this was a youth who saw this, he says, you know, you can tell if mom and dad are dropping you off at youth group because they love it that you're in a Christian environment or they just want a date night. Right? Okay? So, so what do we communicate to our children? Because it's the subtleties that are being picked up. Okay? That's the key message. Um, so when we had interviews, uh, here's the kind of thing that we had. Look at what Emma said about her parents. My parents are role models. They have a lot of faith and are very confident in God, but they're also open to surprises. It is not really faith in a mold. We exhort ourselves to live our lives constantly fulfilled through Jesus. Faith in action. That's what my family represents. I loved it. It's not in a mold, but everything about this mom and dad was this vibrancy to say, how can I live the gospel well? And the kids picked it up. Now now look at Jeremy. Look what he said. You know, simply we were a church-going family, but not a family that truly believed or lived out according to how we believed. We simply went to church and we tried to do some religious things. But in the end, we didn't really, wouldn't get it. And it wasn't passed on to me. Okay? So is this something that's just part of the family tradition and we do this because it's important to mom because we know that mom is going to get flack from grandma if she doesn't go and we don't go? Or is this something, wow, the, the, the best life available on the planet is to live in the presence of Trinity. By the way, that's the last words my father said to me when he, before he passed away two years ago. He said, James, live in the wonderful presence of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's the best life available on the planet. This was someone who lost his own father in Stalin's purges, went through Hitler youth camp, came to Canada as a refugee and was bipolar. But 700 people at his funeral because he became a minister, a teacher, and a farmer and lived his faith his whole life with struggle. Okay? 700 people at his funeral. You know, but it is. It's the best life available on the planet. And we, as adults, get to live it in a way that it gets caught uh, by our kids. Here's what we did. Um, we asked some specific questions um, 
And this actually came from Jody Linkletter, who is an Atlantic Baptist with her PhD in sociology, and said, you know, you need to ask these questions. We're so glad we did. My mother reads her Bible regularly during my upbringing. Yes or no? My father read, read his Bible regularly during my upbringing. Yes or no? I believe my mother prayed regularly outside of table grace. Yes or no? I believe that my father prayed regularly outside of table grace. Yes or no? And then the same thing for religious service. My mother, my father attended religious services regularly during my upbringing. Okay? Yes or no? Well, here is the tragedy from our research. Okay? Again, remember, you could get into our research even if you were a sporadic attender of any Trinitarian confessing church. Okay? Um, Two-thirds in childhood said their parents were attending regularly, attending church. One-third said that they weren't. Okay? So that's the baseline. But out of all of those young adults, only... 12% said, I had a mom and dad who were both praying at home, reading the Bible at home, and attending church regularly with me. Moderately, um, which means anywhere from one to five on that grid. Um, By the way, with the measure we used, there was slight variation because some fives made it into the high and some ones made it into the low. Okay? But here's the breakdown, 56% moderate, 12% high, 32% low, according to this spiritual discipline of parents group. Now I want you to look at this. Whether or not the young adult is attending church now based on parent type. This is mind-blowing. Look at this. 70%, 70%, actually 76% are attending at least monthly, okay? But look at this, 24% not, okay? So if you've done all your part, you still may have a young adult who's not following the Lord, okay? So this is not meant in any way to create any sense of guilt, but... Notice what happens when there's any kind of inconsistency that the child could pick up in the parent. Look at the difference, the way it drops in comparison. So we have from here to here. And let's say the parents aren't hardly involved at all or not involved at all. Not that much difference. I mean, if you're a single mom, this is not in any way meant to discourage you. It still makes a difference. And you're doing something, in fact, single parents inside the church who have a spouse that is not following the Lord are heroes of the faith. And boy, do we need to support them in every single way. And this is not in any way meant for any an ounce of guilt at all. But it's just saying, if you're in an environment... With inconsistency, it's easy to move to the lowest common denominator. Okay? So, 
Look at when it's whether or not the young adult reads their Bible. It's even more pronounced. Where, look at the difference versus no spiritual influence at all by the parents. And then prayer. Prayer is something more acceptable in our culture than Bible reading. And so, yes, Bible reading, uh, uh, prayer is not having as pronounced an impact. Okay? I loved Sylvia's line. My dad was always reading his Bible. Every time there was a crisis, he'd be like, we need to pray about this. Okay? Here's, I, I want to, this is a prodigal daughter story. Okay? Uh, here's an interesting thing about her own, her own testimony. She said, uh, I was dating a non-Christian boyfriend and actually we started sleeping together. She said, I had such a difficulty that I had to resolve it and the only way I could resolve it was to turn atheist. Interesting. Because if I'm atheist, I don't have to deal with this behavior. Okay? She went on to become a very successful businesswoman and is at a Kanye West concert and heard the song Jesus Walks. And it triggered her. And I bet your dad's praying all this time. She said, I looked around. I said, we're all unhappy. As she's backstage at this concert. And she said, that was my prodigal daughter moment. And, I'm, and now she's back in faith. Okay? Which is another amazing, coming back to your point. Let's let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. Okay? He might be convicting us to do or say something, but you know what, is, what, what, what seems to be the case is if there is a vibrant faith community to come to and, and, and we're, we're alive in it, it makes a significant impact and all of a sudden we have the prodigals that are coming, coming home. Okay? Which, here's the prodigal son story. This also raises another question. True religion is to do what? Take care of orphans and widows. Where we know of parents who are needing assistance in raising their children because or, till, or orphans that have no spiritual parents, it's, it behooves us to ask how we need to be those surrogate parents. Okay, so let's have a little bit of time discussing this. This gets personal, okay? Because it's saying we have to live this, okay? If you're youth workers, you're paraparents. If you're um, not yet married, well, boy, what a time like now to start asking the right questions and living in the most vibrant way. So I want you to think of the last faith adventure God took you on. Is your faith changing you? How? Do you talk about your faith often? Is it a natural part of daily life and conversation? I was in a workshop and a youth leader put up his hand. He said, this is hitting me. I always share my faith with my youth. I don't share it with my own children. I got to do this at home. Okay? Um, 
How can we help parents understand the vital role they play in the formation of their children's faith? This is a church question, a leadership question. How can we make sure we're helping parents realize the vital role they play? And how do we equip them? And how can we encourage congregants to be surrogate moms and dads to orphaned youth? Okay, spend a few minutes uh, reflecting on this question with someone that's near you. Or these questions. I need to interrupt for one minute. What I want you to do is grab one nugget from the conversation that you're having where we can share them out loud so that we get these onto the tape and people can write them down because this is where we hit the gold in the seminar. Okay? So if you have an idea that you would like shared with everyone, I I want us to make sure that every group has a chance to share what they're discovering. Okay. Let's come back together. Um... I want to say something right now because this is absolutely crucial to success in the issues we're about to raise, okay? The, the, the John 15 passage says that we, need, we can do nothing if we're not connected to the vine, right? Okay? I'm just speaking personally, okay? For about 20 years, I have had a one-day Sabbath routine because I went through a crisis 15 years ago, 15 or 20 years ago, that was sort of, excuse the language, but this is honestly how I felt at the time. Where the H are you, God? Okay? And out of it, I realized that I needed both professional counseling, a spiritual director, and a one-day Sabbath routine, which I've maintained for the rest of my life. Okay? One day a week, entire Sabbath focused on God. Okay? In this season, my wife and I, because we have a major workshop to get ready for in both October and November, plus other speaking engagement, we have said, you know what? In order to make it through this season, we need a Monday to Wednesday Sabbath routine where no people contact and we focus with God and research out of which we will live Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday well. Okay? We need to get that radical. I had a small group leader In fact, coordinator of small groups at his church, he said, what do you do in a culture where it used to be that 70% of people were emotionally healthy and they took care of the 30%? We're now in a situation, he said, where there's 30% healthy trying to take care of the 70%. And the the only thing I know in our culture to do it is we need to, as leaders, pull back and make sure we are staying spiritually strong with God first. And out of it, living healthy lives with our spouse, I went through a community discernment, a clearness committee, where you don't make decisions on your own. You get other people to help you make decisions, out of which I did not get a PhD. 
but I still have an amazing relationship with my own children who are now young adults. Okay? So this is rubber hits the road and we're going to share principles that will not work unless we are spiritually connected to Jesus ourselves at a deeper level than we think we need. Okay? But having said that, I think there are some amazing principles that flow out of this as to how we need to live uh, and how we need to help parents inside of churches. Okay? So what was an insight that you found uh, uh, that you would like to share? Anyone? Let's do it quickly so that it doesn't take a lot of time, but I want to get these insights and I want to give you a chance to write them down. disconnect between how we do Sunday church and Sunday school and we divide our, we take our kids out of okay. and we employ, I know of a situation where a congregation has said it's going to be Sunday school for families so if okay. mom and dad and your kids you're all going in okay. and mom and dad are going to learn how to do Sunday school so that they can do it okay. throughout the week together okay. with So one of the issues that is being raised is we need to look at our structures to make sure that we haven't taken on the role of parenting children without the role of empowering parents. Okay? So that's a very that's a very good point. Okay? So for example, I know of a church and a resource whereby on sexuality, at exactly the same time on a weekend, sexuality curriculum is being shared in one room with the teens. In another room, same material being shared with the parents, and then they can interact about it at home. Okay, so there's creative ways. Okay, or maybe if we do the VBS group, why not at the same time the men's ministry or the women's ministry have something available for the parents during that time so that it's a time during the summer of spiritual renewal for parents? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What if, what if we at least I think if yep. done, what if in, in fact in Sunday school parents if your kids are going to be here you must teach one whatever your session is you're not signing up for life mm-hmm. but for at least four months you will be in the same classroom as your kids teaching the material alongside another more experienced teacher mm-hmm. if that's not your gifting I get that mm-hmm. but you're actually there doing it with them. Okay. You know, and, and so every parent has a chance to see what is it like to interact with a four-year-old. Because I've, I've done that, well, I guess three times now with my kids. Okay. With the first one, I, I, I don't know how to connect with a four-year-old in the same kind of way as somebody who spends every okay. with a four-year-old. You know, Very good point. So, you know, offer some kind of a mentoring relationship for parents in terms of teaching people at a particular, at a particular age. Yeah, and then it flows over into the home because we we often catch more than more is caught than taught. So if there's some parents at the back of youth group that are hearing the content and also seeing how youth workers inter interact, you know, so there are ways in which we need to be doing things together. Yes. On the note, um, you know, we have two young children too. Yeah. Uh, we personally find that we're alone. Raising our children. Okay. Right, yeah, we come Sunday, we drop off the kid, 
but we go home and the whole week we're alone. Yeah. And as parents, we really don't know many times what we're doing. Wow. But we really don't. You know, so, you know, isn't it interesting that every other area of society has professional development days? Okay. Right. Why don't we have parent professional development days? You know, or parent days where we really, let's do everything. We, we're with you in the raising of your kids and we're going to bring in this resource and we're going to see how we can help you to be better parents. Yeah, very good. Okay, yes? Uh, I, I'm not a parent now because I don't have children living with me. Yes. But I have uh, a daughter I would not say she's a Christian yet, but every time I talk to her, yeah. I always tell her to find a church to go to and to teach her son how to know God uh, in, his, in her youth. Yes. And uh, I don't know if it will be too uh, often, because I know every time I talk to my daughter, I have to mention about God. Huh. Find a church and take your son there. Yeah. Because I'm not a parent, she's a parent. Yeah. So I think that kind of encouragement. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So, so the role that we can play in other people's lives to think on a spiritual dimension and think about the spiritual realities for their children. Very good point. Okay. Any other comments that someone wants to make? I think so. Yes. I feel like I'm missing the point a little bit, but I think it boils down to commitment. Uh-huh. You know, you play the cards you're dealt and you work through it, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, this really raises the issue of how can we make sure that we are staying spiritually well-fed, okay? And, uh, you know... Boy, it's something that we need to model and it's, it's, a commitment, it's a commitment issue at its core. Well, what about God? God experienced, um, this means that for the young adult, God is answering prayers and also felt. Unexperienced, unanswered prayers, unfelt God. Now, I want to highlight something linked to our culture. Uh, you may have heard of a term called moral therapeutic deism. Um, basically unpacked, it's the idea that significant young adults or youth are growing up in churches where they view God as a divine lifeguard who's on the beach. Okay? And the idea is that God is only there if I get in trouble. Okay? Uh, and he's the one who will rescue me if I get in trouble. Okay, So it's not a lifelong lived faith. It's the idea, rather than God being one steering wheel, he's my spare tire. Okay, uh, There when I run into an emergency. And uh, one of the things that is being hit here is... The, th- the fact that unexperienced prayer or unfelt God, well, that's a very human reality, okay? And are we teaching young people how to go through dark nights of the soul? 
because every single person goes through times when God seems less there than others. Okay? And how to go through crisis moments so that faith does not get abandoned. Well, here's the kinds of quotes we would get. Look what Sandy said. I felt like I was supposed to go in and tell the gas station attendant that God loved him, that he was there for him. I ended up going in and saying that, and he had written his suicide note that night and was going to kill himself after shift. The guy became a Christian and turned his life around. Okay? Wow. Here is someone, a youth, that was taught somewhere along the way to be very sensitive to the spirit that was alive and that then prompted his risky action. Okay? Look at Jillan. I was praying and really waiting on God and didn't really feel that there was a lot there, but I continued with all the actions because that's what you're supposed to do. Disappointment and empty obligation. Okay? Look about, uh, what about, does God answer my prayer? Look what June said. Um, well, it was life-changing. I just be re- remember being romanced by the faith, by Christ, and I'm for the first time encountering him. So that kind of transformed me in a really powerful way and kind of helped me realize like what's important in life and how great God's plans were for me and for the other people in my life, even though sometimes it's still unclear. But just to know there's something greater than ourselves, that really came through, through that prayer time. Okay? But look at Suzanne. I was in university. I tried talking to God, and God didn't respond back. I kept asking for help and guidance on, and it wasn't there. I didn't have a support system. I went there friendless, and the person who was supposed to be there wasn't, and that was God. Okay. So do you see the different types of responses we're getting for young adults? Um, here's one of the things it's raising. Testimonies. I think testimonies are one of the most important things to bring back into churches where we hear each other's stories about how God was there. Um, We did a weekend with youth, and we brought in a panel. The the entire weekend, the theme was, where's God when bad things happen? Okay, But then, as part of that weekend, we brought in someone who had a child with major, major medical issues, We brought in someone who was divorced and had lost her parents, but is a strong, vibrant Christian. We brought in the the AA guy who had gone through um, AA and now is a passionate follower of Jesus. And we brought in a couple who had a, a son commit suicide two years previously. And where was God in those hard places? You know, it made a profound impact on the kids. So wh- how can we make sure that the stories of faith get shared? Um, personal reflection. What is the gospel? Why is it good news? 
Give a specific example of how it has been good news to you in the last week. Okay? Here's another thing. When we ask people where they experience God, two things jumped out. Camps and mission trips. Okay? Here's the question. What happens at camp and during mission trips that causes faith to come alive? Okay? And how do we bring those principles back into everyday church, every week church? And then what would it look like for a church to value, make space for, and pursue the presence of God? And how can clergy and actually all of us help for that to happen? Okay? So spend some more time simply reflecting on these questions in your group. Okay, let's come back together and let's address these issues one at a time. Okay, what is the gospel? Why is it good news? And give a specific example of how it has been good news to you in the last week. Anyone want to speak to that? talk to God was through that uh, was through uh, uh, sacrifices of animals when Jesus came down uh, he proclaimed that 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 God is now going to be with us through the Holy Spirit so now God's not up here God is down here with us as we live our daily lives. One of the things that he's done for me was he. I had an issue where I told a lie to someone, and I asked them for forgiveness of the lie, and yeah, it, it straightened my it strengthened the relationship with my wow. kids. You know, you know, uh, you've hit, highlighted a huge issue. The beautiful thing about the gospel is our sin does not define us. Which means if we've lied, if anybody can share that we've lied, we can be transparent. Because it's not what defined us. You know, this is not a museum of saints. This is a hospital of sinners. Right? And the beautiful thing is that forgiven whatever we've done is forgiven which means this can be a place of amazing healing because of the gospel and that can change everything so thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing because that creates a culture where we can be vulnerable and share rather than horrified because someone has done what we secretly do ourselves Right? So there's a beautiful transparency that comes with the gospel. Okay? And it's linked to how Jesus is, it's Christ in us. It's Jesus in our midst as this unfolds. Anyone else on the gospel and how it's been good news for you this past week? Yes? Well, the gospel is the power of God with us and vision. Uh huh. For the past two weeks, I think I have got my 
my question answered about eternal security. For the past two weeks, well, for a long time I've studied this. I believe that when someone is saved, is saved. Okay. And for the past two weeks, I've heard about five prominent preachers who are preaching on the same thing. It just, I don't know why it just keeps going. MacArthur, Charles, Jeremiah, back to the Bible, they're preaching about the same thing for the past two weeks, and I've been listening to the Bible about this. That when you are saved, you are saved. The salvation is not something you work for. Ah. Gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not something you work for. It's the grace. It's the grace of God, the power for to salvation. Yes. Yes. So, um, but first of all, I'm so happy. Uh-huh. You have to bring life to me. Yes. Except someone is faking it, you can go down to uh, baptism. Yeah. But God is there to search your heart. Yeah. And know when you confess, yes. whether you really believe what you confess. Yeah. So that's the difference. Once you say, you say, Christ said, the one that God has given to me, nobody has touched Nobody can snatch them away. Thank you. Yeah, this whole sense that the gospel is gift, that it's something that God gives us, that it's available, and that once we have it, we then can continue. I mean, we're perfect, it says. Legally standing with Christ, and we're being made perfect, which means we still grow, and we keep coming back for grace. Uh, but it is a beautiful example of transformation, transformation, transformation. Um, and, and we do it together. Okay? What happens at camp or during mission trips that causes faith to come alive? And are there implications for us the rest of the year? Yes. I'll teach you at a school that does mission trip. Okay, singular focus of a mission trip. Ah, so so there aren't the distractions of society on a mission trip, and therefore people make changes on the mission trip. And how do we make sure we're not distracted now, right? And how can we create those kind of places um, that so that we're not distracted? Very good. Another point? Yes, over here. I think it's not about them. It's about a bigger purpose. It's about self-focused. Ah. Yeah. It's not about them. It's this big focus. Okay? Is church in the city about us? Or is it about a big focus? <laughs> hey, let's not make it about us. Okay? How can we have a big focus for this whole year? Because the same God who was on that mission trip is here. Yes? I think 
on a mission trip, the focus is on other people. When we're in, sitting in church Sunday morning, we're looking. <laughs> wow! Wow! Could we have an entire church that's focused on other people rather than needing to be fed? Maybe we all need Sabbath times when we're feeding ourselves and weekly and daily times when we're feeding ourselves so that when we come to church, it can be about this exciting place where we're reaching out to the ones who haven't quite got that yet. Yes? Uh, Some mornings are uh, often theoretical times, but if we don't give our children a chance to use, wow. they have a purpose. Wow. You know what? I have to share this, okay? This is controversial stuff, okay? But it's from the research. You know George Whitfield? Have you heard of George Whitfield who came to Boston? Uh, it was in the 17, 17, uh, late 1700s, early 1800s. I don't know the exact time. Boston at the time had 20,000 people. Harvard trained the congregational ministers of the day okay and would not give this fiery preacher their pulpit so George was no problem I'll preach in the fields Boston had 20,000 people at the time and 25,000 people showed up to hear him preach okay Harvard officially sanctioned George Whitfield for enthusiasm. There is an official document saying you've got to watch this guy, he's enthusiastic, and we don't know for sure if what he's teaching us is of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you look over church history, you find that, method, that congregationalists went, went from about 20% of all the Christians down to about 3%, and the Methodists just skyrocketed over the next 50 years. And you know what they said? We need a new style of ministry. We need itinerant preachers that go into... We need to be doing this all over the place. And we need to to have our own people be the ones. Here's Here's the thing. It's easy for seminaries to turn the gospel into something thinking rather than having a faith that hits the heart. And you know, we now value seminaries. I'm not knocking seminary teachers that have a passion for Jesus. But there, you know another thing it said in that book? Often people show up at seminaries wanting to become an evangelist. They leave seminaries wanting to become a university professor. Okay? We need to be very careful that what is directed at here hits not the head but the heart. Okay? That it's not hitting... I mean, the head is important. I'm all for thinking Christianly. This here was great thinking because we're needing to love God with our entire mind. Right? But we also need to love God with our heart. And the heart is our governing center. You know, in the Old Testament, every time it says the heart is deceitfully wicked, what it's saying there is our governing center is off. When we make it about us, we will make wrong choices. 
because we have to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. It will be an experiential reality where everyone is experiencing God in their own life. But it's because their heart was changed. Their heart was given to God. Their heart was softened. And we need our hearts softened. Yes. The question is, what happens at camp? Yes. Most of the comments I've heard so far have been focused on the mission trip and not about the camp. Ooh, let's talk about camping. At a camp, a lot of times you may not have that specific goal in mind. It may not specifically be other people oriented. But what you do have is relationships. You have extended time with other people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Often at camps I've been to, you have some ground rules. Uh, You have some... Uh, some strong Christians that are running it that you can look up to so you have good examples. Uh, You you feel like a family by the end of camp. Ah! Meals together. Activities together. Right? Uh, Yeah, so there's this community, there's this communal aspect at camp that is deeply impacting. Yes, yes. So related to that, I was thinking is when you're... um, when you come to a building for two hours, you can fake it pretty well. When you live for three days and you wake up and your hair is a mess, you can't fake it. So you see people as they truly are, and that reality of that authenticity comes out, yeah. and you start to build these relationships. Why, why do we structure churches where you look at the back of somebody else's head? I don't think they did that in the early church. You know? And if we're only about two hours on a Sunday afternoon, I mean, you guys, I mean, this is amazing. You're, you're eight o'clock getting up for a workshop for four hours on a Saturday. But boy, I bet you the buzz coming out of this will create all sorts of more buzz. And see, that's the beautiful thing. It seems like the more we do it, the more we want to do it. Okay? And so we need to break through to where we have those family times, those intimate times together where we see people and we don't have to be um, faking it. Okay? Yep. Yeah, there has to be something said for, for Jesus walking in the wilderness. Three weeks ago I was in Phoenix. Uh-huh. For a week and Thursday I went for my walk and I walked between 25 and 27 miles and part of it was in the Sonoran Desert. Wow. It's just me and God and 20-foot cactuses and the you know, you know, creation, right? To be with God in creation. Okay? So there is something definitely about the silence, the time alone, being with God in, in the beautiful nature that he has created. Okay? One more. Yes? I just had a comment more on your last question. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How do you make your faith applicable? And I think in order for I think that's a very key purpose of the church for 
Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think in order for that to happen, the church, we have to build a place where um, it's, people feel safe yeah. giving that testimony and they can trust people with that. Um, and I, I just think that's, that's important. And then I think for all of us as a, in a church, like I know this church and I know what people have gone through and what they've experienced and their struggles, I know that my son needs to hear that. Yeah. And needs to hear how they went through it. We have to present that and build that atmosphere. You know, you're nailing a really important point. Um, so, to raise the question, what would it look like for a church to value, make space for, and pursue the presence of God? How can we, as a congregation, make it happen? The importance that real life experience be shared with all agers. You know, why can't some seniors who have figured out how to stay married to the same person for 55 years, not speak to the youth about relationships and not killing each other. Right? Because that is so important. There are skill sets that we have that we just need to be making sure that the real issues are being addressed and how God is the one who is helping us in those, those areas. Uh, by the way, we warehouse our seniors in our culture. And if they're rich enough, we get them to warehouse themselves. And it's a tragedy that they think the place that's best for them in their senior years is across the border heading um, somewhere else. Okay? Because we're so impoverished. Okay? And I'm not saying people shouldn't get away to have a good holiday, but boy, how can we create this intergenerational connection is a really important thing. Yes? I think it's very important in the church to have this. In our family, we're lucky we have three generations. Yeah. We can do it in, in the family home. Yeah. There's people here, like Calgary is such a diverse... Yes. And so we have to accommodate that yeah. in the church. You know, you know, I was part of an event that was just brilliant. One church brought me in to talk about intergenerational issues. And then at the table were two millennials. There was two uh, Gen Xers, two boomers, and two grandparent generations. Okay, so four generations were at the table. And the questions were things like, what did you do Friday nights when you were growing up? Um, just this rich dynamic of intergenerational um, connection. So, you know, there, there, there are ways in which that can be structured, but how to encourage... The, you know another thing? Names. Do you know the names of the people that are 20 years older than you and younger than you in your particular church? Okay. Could you give me those names? And could every Sunday we be about getting to know one more person who is at least 20 years our senior or 20 years our junior? Okay? Let's go to the next one. Vibrant community. When we looked through the data... We found five themes coming out linked to what young adults would say made a vibrant community in terms of function. 
It was a place that grew people in Jesus. Okay, so this was a place that loved Jesus and Jesus was modeled. Okay, it was a place, remember how he mentioned hardships and uh, where um, having someone there to help you go through hard times was another key function. Okay, Um, emotional healing. Okay, a vibrant community was seen by the youth as making a difference somewhere else. It wasn't just inward focused. Okay, and then lastly, youth were equipped in their talents. In terms of the ethos of these places, they were cross-generational. There was comfortable ways in which generations interacted. There was an authenticity about the place where people were real. They weren't, you know, ego. Here's a great definition of ego. Edging God out. Edging God out. Okay? What you need to do, what we all need to do is let go of three things. Our need for control, our need for security, and our need for approval. Okay? Let let go and let God. Okay? Uh, and what you, you know, it's, it's letting go of a need to be approved, letting go of a need to be secure, and letting it go a need to have control. It's amazing what beautiful stuff happens when you don't need control in a church. Okay? Say, you know, this is my opinion. You know, I honestly think that this could be improved in how you do this. But I don't need control. I, I love you. I'll support you if you keep doing it the way you're doing it. But I just want you to know how it's hitting me. Okay? But honest, this is just between you and me. And I came and talked to you about it first. Okay? Um, no, and then not a need, a need for approval. So when someone critiques us, that's okay. We want critique. It doesn't shatter us because our foundation is in Christ. And then lastly, the need for security. In order to do church well, it's going to take time, it's going to take talent, and it's going to take treasure. Okay? And it's this extravagant, risk-taking lifestyle where we do it together and see God do amazing stuff. And it's including... It's trying to think outside the box at those on the fringes and how it would be to have them as part of it. How many mistakes can you see in this picture? This here is uh, the Last Supper. What do you notice that is a mistake in that picture? Shout it out. Yes. Oh, they're all pulling away from Jesus. Okay, yeah. You know? Anything else? There's a woman there. (laughs) Well, you know what? That's a fascinating question. You know? I wonder if there were. There certainly were in the upper room. Okay? Any other things you notice? I want to point out one. Yeah, that doesn't look like a feast to me, hey? (laughs) Why do they have gray hair? 
Those were teenagers. Those were 20-somethings. Isn't it crazy that Jesus handed the church over to 20-somethings? They were young. Isn't that wild? And you know, you read a number of biographies of phenomenal men and women of God. Teenager is when they... Right? What does it mean? What does it mean where everything we do, we do with millennials? And, uh, you know, I mean, it's my apologies that I don't have a millennial with me co-presenting today. Because that's what it really needs. Vibrant community. I absolutely... This is one of my favorite quotes that I discovered in our 72 interviews. She's going to say why she loves her church. Okay? When I get back in my car after church, I'm on fire. Not necessarily because of the messages, even though they are great. But because of seeing other people who love others. Love sinners as though they were their own family members. And what I retain from this is this massive fire that reaffirms my faith. I exit church utterly encouraged in my faith. Wow. Whereas stagnant. No one really wanted to get to know me or what was going on in my life or really cared about what I was struggling with. The pastors who were overseeing me. No one was interested in pouring into my life and all these demands were made of me about what I should do here, what I needed to do and how I needed to perform and I said, forget it. Okay? Five toxins showed up in the research. Okay? Hypocrisy, I really struggle with how people can have a firm belief in God but treat people so horribly at the same time. Okay? Are we living the Sermon on the Mount? Okay? You know? That says some pretty radical stuff about how to treat enemies and pray for them and care for them. Okay? Judgment. The game here is almost who can go the longest without publicly screwing up. <laughs> Exclusivity. I just felt like I had no place there, really. Failure. And when we say failure, what do we do with the person who has slipped morally, is in moral sin? Okay. Or if they start doubting one of the church's doctrines. Okay. And here's an interesting one from Sylvia. I said, well, if God does exist, I'm, going, I'm not going to disobey him. So I'm just going to choose for him not to exist. So this was the one that turned atheist rather than deal with her sexuality out of, practices outside of marriage. No opportunity. I put myself out there. I became a youth leader, but I wasn't allowed to put in my creativity or my experience. Okay. Look at what Barry said. It's like I can't see God. Okay, by, Gary, by the way, is same gender attracted. And uh, um, he was in a horrific place and actually suicidal. He had come out in his Christian school and it had not gone pretty. You know, he felt rejected. He'd been beat up. 
And then he had this person. He started hanging out at a bookstore and the owner of the bookstore took an interest in him. And look what he says. It's like I can't see God, but I see this person and they can see God. And because I trust them, I can hold on long enough until God gets here for real. I know that they're not going to lie to me. How they live and treat me is physical proof that God exists. They literally were Jesus with skin on to me. Physical proof of a loving God that I could not see or access on my own. Isn't that beautiful? What this person The impact of one person. I have a scar here, and I want to tell you a scar story. Okay? It goes right from here all the way to here. Uh, I have I have trouble. I'm the kind of person that's abstract, random, and for a while I was always leaving the lights on in my car, and it would I'd run a dead battery. And uh, I was so used to it, I carried booster cables in the back. And one day I come out of, from a meeting and I have a dead car battery. It was right when I was working on my final pages of my thesis. And uh, I quickly stopped this pickup truck going by. And then I went down to my car and I, it was a little red firefly, Pontiac firefly. I opened the door, I put my hand on here, and I pulled it out because I was in a stall, and I pulled it out, not realizing I was right beside a one-ton flatbed truck, and I pulled my car right into the flatbed, the front of the flatbed, and it just literally, I hear this, this pain, and I'm, so here I am, I'm bleeding, blood dripping, and with one hand, I boost my car, I get it going, I send the guy on the way, he didn't know what was happening. I hop in my vehicle with my hand out the window as it's dripping blood, and I'm heading to the hospital. I've had very few moments when God has spoken to me directly. But all of a sudden, I had this clear as day out of nowhere, random thought that hit me so powerfully I've never forgot it and here's what it was James can you imagine a church that treats its weakest member the way you are treating your finger right now can you imagine a church that treats its weakest member the way you are treating your finger right now well you know this thing got stitched up Do you think it had to do any typing the next couple weeks? No. I typed my thesis with one hand. This used to carry coffee cups, but it couldn't carry a coffee mug anymore. Uh, Whenever I'd come to a door, I'd I'd put my briefcase between my legs, open the door, and then go through. Here's the principle. I want Calgary Church of Christ to treat its weakest member with that amount of love and care. Who here is broken that simply gets to chill in this place with no requirements until they heal? 
No requirements. We're just going to care for you. We're going to turn ourselves inside out so you don't have to do that anymore. But you're part of us. We want you here. That, my friends, is the kind of church that millennials will join and stay. And they would love to be part of what happens in that church. So how do we come a place where wounded are welcome and can receive healing in our church? How can we best trust and release young people in their gifts and talents? Before we go to this one, I have to tell you a story. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a workshop and a millennial, a young man gets up. And here's what he said. He said, whenever someone looks at me, they see me as a potential Sunday school teacher or a potential youth leader. Okay? He said, I am right now just graduated with a linguistics degree. The guy was just a little short guy. And as soon as I get my student loan paid off, I want to head over and translate the Bible into another language. He wants to join Wycliffe. Wow. Like the creative potential that God has put inside your youth. I mean, this is a whole nother workshop. Okay? But here's the issue. Uh, by the way, there's a TED's talk. It's on the called Spark Peter Benson called How Youth Thrive. Youth are vessels. Are, youth are fires to be lit, not vessels to be crom, crammed with information. How do we do confirmation or baptism class? They're fires to be lit. And then this, this researcher says this. I show it to my sociology of youth class. They love this. They say, it's, he says this. Every youth has a spark that they want to, a creativity. They already want to give back to the planet. Okay? And then he says this. Spark comes from the word spirit, which comes from the word breath. That was breathed in there by God. And then he says this, spark plus three spark champions. That's three other adults that cheer this person on. Plus opportunities equals youth thriving. So how can we trust them and release them into their gifts and their talents? And how can we better facilitate meaningful interaction between generations? I'll give you a few minutes to talk about this one. Okay, uh, any comments on any one of those three questions? Yes. Um, I don't know if you asked, maybe your research, you found that maybe numbers, I don't know, there's something about, um, there's a group of women get together to pray and between the two services. Brenda's there, Michelle is there, and Renette is there sometimes, and for me that is the best part of church. Wow. Because we hear how we are doing. Wow. We pray together. Wow. That's what I look forward to. Wow. So I know if, if that's a space where we yeah. can actually hear each other. Yeah. Maybe a big group is kind of hard to so, so, so the importance of small group connections is really important. Wow. Yeah. I think that's saying something. Uh, some things you do in large groups, 
but something's how do we facilitate and make sure everyone has a place where and you know i mean to hear this this is powerful there's something whoever had the vision for that particular group it's doing some very meaningful things so how can we have these spontaneous or these other the where you know we're here anyway what are the kinds of things that we we uh, need to um be a part of that uh, extend out of this you know for a while we just have a, a large home and claire and i we just simply decided to do potlucks for a number of months everybody just coming to our house who wanted to after church you know it's a, i know somebody who actually they met their realtor and bought their house because of they made a connection at that place like you know i mean all sorts of practical ways that can happen but you know um definitely the importance of small group yes i think it's uh, important to humble ourselves and understand where we're at because you know the majority of us are wounded yeah and uh realizing that it's not just a couple wounded no most of us yeah uh, helps us kind of maybe work together you know what Claire and I one year were absolutely broken okay and we were leaders and there was a group of young adults that wanted to meet I was working at a college at the time and we simply told them you guys I don't mind if we meet but you need to know how broken we are um we'll provide the place but part of the answer here is you're going to pray for us you're going to care for us they loved it we loved it it was so beautiful rather than you know feeling i need to be the expert with my life put together you know uh i've been to seven marriage counselors um and claire and i have a beautiful relationship these things are worth fighting for right so how do we create the kind of space i really appreciate you saying that okay yes you're talking about Yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, yes, yes, yes. See, this is the beautiful thing. All we have to do is pray. Right? We have to duck, right? The focus isn't on the focus is somewhere else, right? That's the beautiful thing. Can you imagine a culture where anything goes wrong? we're going to pray about it and we're going to expect god to show up oh yeah this is not a place for gossip this is a, and you know can we allow our pastors to be broken can our pastors also enter into this without expecting that the donations are going to go down <laughs> right wow cool any, any yes Yeah. And it's good to meet as a small group, but it's vital to be authentic in that group. Yes. Oh, oh. We need places where we're real and we just this gotta work. Okay. You know, so this couple breaks up close to us, and the guy says, "Yeah, all my whole life I've had an anger issue." it now cost me my what 
We've been in the same church for 20 years and I don't know that you struggle with anger. And it's partly my fault because I have to point four fingers to me. Why don't I know that person that well? And now I remember the time they reached out to me. And we were too busy, right? So, you know, it's not... You guys get it. <laughs> okay, anything else? Let's... Let's move, oh yeah, one more point and then we're going to move on. Something that touches on at least uh, you know, the first or last question is, is a deep sense of humility. Yeah. I, actually, I have something to learn from you. Yeah. And I think that that's very true, especially when we have people, uh, somebody mentioned earlier, you know, we're all wounded mm-hmm. in different ways. And just mm-hmm. because your wound looks different than mine, yeah. you've got no issue. Yeah. You know, that, you know, but to have the humility to say, God's doing something in and through you. Yeah. Um, that I want, I want and need to pay attention to. Yeah. And I think that spans generationally. Yeah. That the older aren't arrogant, thinking I yeah. have nothing uh, yeah. to listen to from the youth. Yeah. And that the youth aren't arrogant, thinking you don't know anything about real life. Yeah. And so together we're actually... You know, you know, I want to say something intergenerationally here, okay? Could you do me a favor? Could you promise one thing going forward? That you will, you will not let fear be your driving force. You will let love be your driving force. Okay? Take the risk to love rather than be fearful and hold back. Okay? Yeah, that's a very, very good point. We have one more issue to deal with, and that's teaching and beliefs. Youth, what we sense, want content to be deep. They want the tough topics tackled. Okay, um, delivery. Okay, so for example, part of your history is a cappella. Help me understand that. And every young person wants to understand that. And there was a good reason why it was put in place at the time. Okay, so there are, there are great answers to these questions. Okay, and we need to be able to go deep as to what is it Tough topics, okay? The, 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 the sexuality issue in our culture, uh, I was talking to a theologian, and he said this, Rome, uh, early Christians would not bow down to Caesar, okay? The new Caesar in our culture, this theologian said, is eros, unbridled sexuality, Okay? And there are Christians who are going to get persecuted because they do not bow down to Eros. And are we okay with that? Okay. And on the gay issue, a larger issue for the church is heterosexual sin. A larger issue for the church is heterosexual sin. And we need to be taking that one as seriously as we attempt to live in a culture where this is such a prevalent issue. Okay? Um, study conferences need to be held. I'm part of a denomination that is meeting next month to address what does the Bible say about a holistic sexuality. And part of what we're going to be looking at is Song of Solomon, praise the Lord. Right? You know that part that as a teen you would secretly read when you were bored in church? That's in the Bible, right? Okay. Um, Delivery. Is it application focused? Are there opportunities to ask questions? This generation is used to getting answers fast. 
I know churches that will put a text, a place you can text on the screen. And at the end of the service, the pastor will on the spot answer those questions. Okay? So how can we creatively meet the needs of the younger generation? Um, I'll look at the restrictive issue in a second. So I'm going to move to this one. Holding tanks with pizza. Uh, A church, uh, a study was done in the States in 2007, which highlighted the problems in Protestant churches in North America. Um, It was funded by the Southern Baptists, but it was an entirely Protestant study looking at young adults who were leaving church communities after high school. And they found that 7 out of 10 regular high school attenders had spent at least one year of non-activity by the time they were 23. Um, And the majority were back in church, but they had had a year of non-activity. Okay? And these were the best, I mean, these are high school seniors. Here's what the researcher put in USA Today. I love this quote. Here's what he said. Too many youth groups are holding tanks with pizza. When youth are looking for a faith which will transform them and change the world. And that's the Christian faith. We must get out of the mentality that if we create something here, they're not going to go over there Friday night. Okay, that's fear-based. Okay, what we need is a youth ministry that is love-based, that literally lights them on fire so that they can them have every issue in themselves change and transform the world. Okay? Some of the empowering... Bill, look at this. I love this quote. Bill gets it. I think ultimately you need to be focusing on Jesus and the rest of the stuff, I mean details, they're okay, but I mean ultimately can't be distracted from that. There's something so profoundly impacting when you focus... On Jesus. Okay, when you look at the beginning, how things started, Christians disagree. When you look at end times, Christians disagree. But how to live the now with Jesus, that hits reality. Okay, premarital sex is a big issue, Uh, the issue of homosexuality, gender issues, okay. Um, So these are some of the places where often looking in, young adults are saying we're restrictive, okay? So how we need to have answers as to why we take the stands we do on these issues based on Scripture. Look at John's experience. Look at what he says. John is someone, grade 11, he said, I left church. And here's what I could not... He said, I was taking taking time in... uh, in my upper-level biology classes, I was getting evolution here, six-day creation at my church. He says, it's great pastors preach out of the Bible and kind of their life experience, but what about the questions we have? Why aren't they trying to connect with the whole church and tell them, don't be afraid of questions? And he said, I wish church was more like a classroom. Okay, We need to know who the experts are. Uh, Even the experts on YouTube, because there's some phenomenal resources on all of the tough issues. Okay? And then I'm going to end with this. Congregation, how is it possible that the gospel should be credible? That people should come to believe that the power which has the last 
word in a human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross. I am suggesting, says Leslie Newbegin, that the only answer, okay, the only answer that is going to impact the world, the younger generation, is this. The only hermeneutic of the gospel is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Okay? That's why it's so beautiful that this is mostly a church expression right here. And I want to pray for you. Um, This is in your notes. I'd love for you to have a conversation with someone. We need to come in for a landing. Uh, We're out of time. So those are some great questions to dialogue. Um, What does it take to build this church together? Well, let me tell you. Transfusing life. Can we say it again? Transfusing life with gospel. Okay, well, what's the gospel? It's not a new hire. It's not a new program. It's not an external fix. It's not a change in church structure. It is an Aspen Grove church. I want you to be an Aspen Grove church. If you go through an Aspen Grove and you say, how many trees are there? There's only one because everyone's connected at the root system. There's different expressions. There's little ones. There's big ones. But they're all organically connected to the root system. And we need to be connected to the root system. Which means your church does not have to be a factory. You don't have to figure out some program that creates Christian widgets and put everybody through it. Okay? It's also not a guided missile. It's not a charismatic leader and a follower that has a direction but falls on the wrong targets and meets the needs of the leader only. Okay? And it's not a lazy boy that meets the needs of the congregation. Okay? But guess what? Like the lazy boy, your church will have community. Like the guided missile, your church will have direction. And like the factory, your church will have results. But they will be organic results. And it will be something we have to give all the credit to Jesus for doing. So it's a new way of being. Let's think different as we leave here. Let's encounter God ourselves. Right? We can't give anybody what we have not experienced. We all have this amazing opportunity to be in the vine connected. It's letting ourselves be broken and in pursuit of healing because we all know that the source is Jesus and the source is here and we can care for and pray for each other. It's letting ourselves be adopted. We're adopted. We're king's kids Identity issues for our younger generation. Keep telling them they're king's kids. They were made on purpose for a purpose. They were dreamed up way longer before they were born. Which means even if their parents didn't want them, somebody else wanted them and it was God that wanted them. And guess what? Because we're adopted by the king of the universe, not a power, this is a life of empowerment. Because we have the keys to the storehouse. We can go in and get courage. We can go in and get healing. We can go in and get a fruit of the Spirit which grows over time. We can get in and go in and get an answer to the trials and the joy for that trial. It's a life of empowerment. So let's let's commit to transparency. If there's something that's bugging you about this church, 
Pray about it first. Don't gossip. Go directly to the person and have that conversation. Directly. Okay? And be transparent. Be who you are. And then be family. That means lots of time eating together. Lots of family time. Lots of people on the fringes. And by the way, here's what's so beautiful. What's your name? Francis. Francis. Did you know that Francis and I are brothers? You've heard of six degrees of separation? Well, in the church, it's one degree of separation. We're all brothers in Christ or sisters in Christ. So I want to give you a hug. I never met you before. So God bless you. And it's so neat to meet you. My brother, Francis. Okay? Can you get that? Can you get that? Can you, when you take communion, can you look around the church and realize that every single one of them is a brother or a sister? Every one of them that's taking that bread and that wine is family. Is family. And then, you know what? We are light in the world. You take all the darkness in the world and one tiny light and you can't help but your eye go towards that light. Your church is a phenomenal light simply by how you love one another. So help other people encounter you and trust in Jesus. So it will mean going and getting some of the stragglers back. It will mean praying for some of them. It will be making sure some of the fence-sitters are heard so that issue gets resolved that's keeping them on the fence. And let's thank God for every engager. And let's make sure that those engagers know we are deeply appreciative that they have been a part, placed into this body. So, blessings on you. And I'd just like you to be very open to the prayer. I will now pray over all of you. Okay? So, Father, I want to thank you for this group of family, these brothers and sisters. And I pray, God, that you will bless this church. You will give great joy to their leadership. I pray that this will be a place where leaders duck and point people to Jesus. I pray that this will be a place of low ego, where people let go of their need for approval, let go of their need for success, let go of their need for control. And Lord, we just want you, Jesus, to be honored in this place. Because it is to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, our Savior Jesus, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. There were some uh, challenging things there for sure, but there was nothing there that isn't uh, quite possible within the kingdom of God and for God to work among us. And so I'm thrilled about the the, uh, chance we've had to hear those things today, and I pray that you were greatly blessed.
We do still have a chance for question and answers, uh, which are going to take place down in the gymnasium. Why don't we have a prayer and uh, thank God for what he's done with James today, and we'll thank him for the food. Holy Father, we thank you very much for the ways in which you're using James Penner uh, to minister to churches, to minister to Christians, to minister to the whole body of Christ, uh, especially within Canada. Father, we want very much for our young people especially to know you for the rest of their lives, to be in relationship with you, to love you with all of their hearts, give their, their, lives, their lives completely to you as Lord. And we pray that you'd continue to use this ministry to make that possible. Bless our church family, Father, that we would, would make that happen here. Uh, we definitely are, are headed in a positive direction regarding that, God, and we thank you and praise you for that. And we pray that you would continue us along that path, uh, that we would be able to teach our children, teach them well, see them raised well in you. Thank you, God, for all the blessings we have. We thank you for the fellowship today, for our time together. We thank you for the food we have. You bless us like no people in the world are blessed. And for that, we're so grateful. Help us never to take that for, for granted. We pray these things through Jesus. Amen.